0: Hey friends, just quickly, my new book, The Proof is in the Plants, is now available. Get it from plantproof.com forward slash book. Thanks so much for all your ongoing support, and I hope you enjoy this episode.
1: I ended up taking all these drugs and all these pills and putting them in a blender, blended them up with rum and drinking that. And then not waking up for a while. I woke up and I've been throwing up all over my kids floor. It was just kind of disgusting. But something when I woke up said, it's not your time. I mean, it just completely changed my life. So Dan Brown, he gave me the name and number of a Buddhist monastery about five hours away. I took his advice. I called them up. Said I was coming. Long story short, I ended up moving there. Selling everything I had. Ended up selling the restaurant. You know, I've lost other people in my life. I've lost my Sister, I've lost my uncles and cousins and grandparents. I've lost my best friend. It's different when you lose
0: your mayor, mayor, mayor. That's Derek Sano, and this is the Plant Proof Podcast. Hey, beautiful friends. Welcome back to another episode. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. I hope that you've been keeping well. For new listeners, I'm Simon Hill, host of this show, nutritionist, physiotherapist, and author. Please do sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode.
1: say i discovered that i love food probably before i reached my teens as far as like wanting to work with it and play with it and cook but i didn't realize that i was going to hone this craft until my 20s i worked in this really busy restaurant and the the head chef he was just this large very large man and he was a drill sergeant before he became a chef so you can imagine this guy was just massively huge a huge, loud, loud voice. And he would scream and yell at some of the other guys that I worked with, but he would never yell at me. And he pulled me aside one day and he, he did raise his voice, but it was in such a way that he was telling me that I, he's like, Derek, it's taken me 10 years to learn what you can do in like a small amount of time. You have to follow the met recipes on the menu though, because you keep changing them and people keep asking why it 's different than the last time they came in, <laughs> whether it 's better or not has nothing to do with it. He 's like, "You can do whatever you want with the specials menu, but the standard menu, unless you 're going to work every single day, you have to uh, you have to follow the recipes and do it the way we set up because I was getting bored with the regular everyday stuff, and it didn 't taste that great to me, so I wanted to make it taste better <laughs> and then I also got into designing the menu. In the beginning of it. So he included me with that. It was just a really good, he, the way he, he told me I was creative, he built, helped build me up and he helped me like realize that I was good at what I was doing. That lasted about four years. So I, learned, I started as a line cook and then ended up as the chef of that restaurant and then just moved on. I had continually just moved from restaurant to restaurant. I bounced around. I worked off the coast of Bar Harbor, Maine. I worked down in New Hampshire. I worked out in Wyoming. Um, I bounced around a little bit here and there. And what I did was I practiced the basics a lot. Like just cutting, roasting, sauteing, grilling. Like I just wanted to get, be really good at, at the methods and processes. And what I did was I ended up leaving this one position and I was a sous chef at it. And I went, I knew I was going to open a restaurant. So what I did was I got a job as a produce delivery guy for a produce company. So I could learn more about how every single restaurant worked. So I knew how to work in a restaurant, but I wanted access to see everything. So I took it upon myself to just get a job for six months and I delivered produce. So I went inside the back door of every restaurant to see who was clean, who had recipe books open, what chefs were doing organization, I got to see everything, what to and what not to do and who I wanted to ask for advice and who I wouldn't ask. So so it was a really good experience. You know, you know, I went to college, uh, university just for a very small bit. I didn't like it. I I know about myself that I'm not a classroom learner, not a group learner with a bunch of people. I've learned that in group learning situations, people tend to follow other people, right? I tend to go the other way. It just happens all my life. If it gets to a point where everybody's like, oh no, we're doing this, we're doing this, forget that. I say, well, forget that. I'm going over here and I'm going to do this. It's just how it is still. It's funny because I have this belief that one, if you do every single thing in front of you really well in succession, it just builds on this, everything being done really well. And I apply that through food, through process, through washing dishes, like washing dishes, every single plate. If you can wash each one really well and just get faster and faster and faster, I'll pretty soon you're really good and you master that. So I did that with chopping onions, cutting, you know, to the point where I could blindfold myself and, and do a 50 pound bag of onions in front of me, blindfolded and knowing like how to hold your hand, right? So, like, you know, how it's like a consistent everyday <laughs> going to the gym. And that, that's what builds. Over a period of time, you can't just go to the gym and all of a sudden be super good. So super huge, pinched, whatever they say here. Um, same with cooking. You know, you practice and practice a little bit every day. It's like hold, the way you hold a, a, your hand when you're chopping, you learn your lessons. If you hold it wrong, you get cut. And if you're not aware, you get cut. So it's like bringing that mindfulness to every single thing you do that's in front of you. And then building upon that. And that's how, that's how I got to be where I am. And as far as not things, knowing what not to do, I know that I need to trust my intuition. And the times that I haven't trusted my intuition is when things might go off track or not really be the best. At what's good for me? The first place I set up, it was called Mahalos. It's funny, man, because I started Mahalo's the same the same year that I had my son. So I was married briefly, um, had my son Jake, who is amazing. He's nineteen now. So starting a business and having a baby is difficult, and I ended up choosing having the business, you know. And Jake, he grew up when he was with me in the restaurants. So that what I started was a personal chef service at first, and. From there, it just grew and grew and grew to where I ended up hiring some of the old guys that I worked with um, that I really respected and I learned from, and they came and worked with me. And I had that business for about seven years. Within that business, I opened up another restaurant called The 100 Club, and that was more of a high-end restaurant where we had wine, cigars. It was a private supper club. We charged uh, an initiation fee and a yearly fee to be a member of it. and then. I ended up selling those too and started a farm. So I had a vegan organic farm. So there was no meat on it, no animal products. And it wasn't because I was vegan at the time. My brother was vegan, Chad. He's been vegan since he was in high school. The reason for the farm is I wanted to learn where everything I was cooking came from and how I got there and growing. So I had read a book called The Good Life um, by Helen and Scott Nearing. And they grew up and they, they were homesteaders from the 1920s and 30s. And they had built two different farms starting like when I believe the guy's first one was 50. And then the second time he did it when he was 70. He lived till he was 100. Where he just took a piece of property and just totally transformed the whole property. Built it from the ground up. Farms, every I mean, it's it's so incredible. Like I'm so inspired by them. And they had their own way of health. And there was no animal products. There was no animal eating. Every step of the way I learned and it kind of slowly sunk into me. It all started happening like like that in succession. I cooked a lot of meat. I was doing pig roasts. I was doing steaks. I considered vegetables a condiment and meat the focus. I think that's pretty much what most people do. During the farm, I think that was 2000, 2003, 2004, I had met who was going to be my fiance, Amanda. And she, at the time, was doing training horses and Teaching horses how to do dressage, and I just started learning about all about this from her. She was an amazing uh, model as well, super beautiful and super kind. And we got along really well. And we transitioned from that farm. I ended up opening another restaurant, and she helped. I, for the first time, like found somebody who could relate to me because I'm I'm a little. Uh, some people think I'm a little crazy <laughs> because I like work. Uh, you know, when people ask me, "Hey, what's your hobby?" Uh, cooking. What do you do for work? Cook. So I consistently, I just am cooking like all the time for fun. Like it's just like that's what I do. If for some reason shit just comes through me and it goes through food, and it's it's just weird. Yeah, it's I mean it's wonderful and weird. <laughs> so you know, to make a really brief, I'll just be really brief about it. Amanda and I got engaged. She was killed shortly after in a car accident hit head on by a 17 year old boy going to a swim class or something. It was like really, really early. And then from there, like I kind of lost my shit. You know, when you, you're that young, I was in my mid thirties. She was a little bit younger than me and you're living with somebody and you, somebody that you like do everything with and share a bed with and you're going to marry. You know, I've lost other people in my life. I've lost my sister. I've lost my uncles and Cousins and grandparents. I've lost a lot of people. I've lost my best friend. It's different when you lose it, your mate. I had been catering for um, Dan Brown, who wrote the Da Vinci Code, Angel and Demon. I mentioned this this short, brief bit in the book. So we did the catered the premieres of those movies, and I at the time was um, their personal chef, like catering all their parties. And he, I had an event two weeks after Amanda died uh, at his house and he wanted to cancel the event. And I was like, no, please don't because it's the only thing I have to look forward to. Like at that, after she passed, I could only see as far as that party. I mean, it just completely changed my life. So Dan Brown, we'll get back to that. He gave me the name and number of a Buddhist monastery about five hours away called Padme Samyaling. And it was a Tibetan Buddhist monastery, and he's like, "Derek, you should just go there and check it out, and just take the weekend and just relax," you know. So I took his advice. I called them up, said I was coming, and they, I ended up going there for the weekend. Long story short, I ended up moving there. I ended up selling everything I had. Um, ended up selling the restaurant, the other restaurant, which was called Mizuna, to my partners there, and then just stayed there and then I would come back once a month to we had decided me and uh, Amanda's family had decided to forgive the, the boy that caused the accident because it was his fault and to f- forgive him. So I, I came back to defend him so he wouldn't go to jail and through all the court. So my first public appearance in speaking to anybody was in a courtroom, which was very difficult, probably the most difficult in my life. Even the day that it happened, when she was hit, I was calling their house, you know, and I had visits from the police. Like, I have to leave these people alone because I was just calling, like, you know what you did. Do you know what you freaking did? Um, You kind of ruined not only my life, but family's lives around, you know. And so by going to the monastery, though, I've already had been reading about compassion and Buddhism. And the thing is about Buddhism, right, in the beginning when I first started studying it, it seems like it talks a lot about suffering. And I had to put the books down because I didn't understand the whole suffering. It. it always talks about suffering and life is suffering, this is suffering. And I just didn't realize that it was just pointing out that that's the case. And it is true. Like A lot of life is suffering. A lot of life is happiness. And it's just like what the Tibetan teachers, the Kempos, what they mainly taught me is like, just be nice to people. Be compassionate like that, and cultivate compassion, and that takes practice. It's not like you're not just born with it. You have to like be mindful about it, and you have to choose to be that way. So, I chose to forgive that boy because it wasn't any good for me to keep perpetuating the the suffering of like why should I ruin their family when this had already happened, you know? And there was nothing we could do. There's nothing I could do about it. So, so from there. I just really, for those three years, so I lived there for three years, um, close to three years, anyways. And what happened was I just studied. I've read tons and tons of books about Tibetan Buddhism. I, I read all about the compassion. I attended all the teachings. I cooked for all the meals. I started, I just started bringing myself back from being really silent and quiet from when I was super grieving. I've done a lot of silent retreats the 30 day silent retreats there and I wrote a lot and I just practiced compassion and like how and really like malas and sitting and really sitting with my mind because what I wanted to do was figure out instead of running off you know people get pissed at this and pissed at that and I do get pissed but it's having that awareness of the knowing the one thing that that can take over and just cure everything rather than just getting pissed off at every single thing. I just want to know how my mind reacts to anything, whether it's happiness or sadness. So I really try to play a role where I'm very equal. Like some people, I'm not the best at receiving gifts because I don't show enough excitement. But I'm also, when shit happens, I'm not the one who freaks out. This is just learned from how my mind reacts and just sitting with it. And and it's just, it's also given me a sense of. Confidence that it's okay. Everything at the end of the day is going to be okay. If somebody came and did something super negative, I don't have to react. I, I do still react, and it takes me a while to like, oh, okay, remember where where you are, because you're always going. You know, when shit happens, and you kind of react instinctual, and I I'm not always the best when I do that. So my best self comes when I have a moment to like reflect on it and think about it. And the more and more I practice that, then the easier and easier it gets. So how somebody, people ask me about meditating all the time. The best explanation I've heard is like, when you sit and you quiet your mind and you know you can start recognizing your thoughts because you're not your thoughts, that space between one thought and another, that space when you're sitting and you're calm and you're peaceful starts to expand and that gap grows. And the more and more that grows, more and more aware you can be of every thought. So just being like sitting at a movie screen and just watching things go by. And then you don't have to, like I don't have to, if I get upset and pissed off or if I feel like self-loathing or self-deprecate or just something like bad and I feel like I'm sorry for myself, I'll set a time limit on that. Like, all right, you know what, Derek, allow you, I'll allow yourself, myself to be sad for this length of time, whether it's a day, if I wake up tomorrow, no more, no more. You get back, get your shit together and you get back out there and you do it because you're of no help to anybody like this. You know, if I'm in a negative state, that's pretty much how I live my life now. And same goes with happiness though, or um, success. Like, oh, this happens all of a sudden because lately you've been experiencing a a fair amount of success with the range and like, it's still not where I want it to be. But it's it's all these small steps, and I allow myself to celebrate the success for a short amount of time, but then get back to work. Like don't it, don't let it go to your head. It's all about it's the ego, and you it can be happy or sad. It's like I want to be in the middle, and during that twenty nine days before I went there, like that was when I could have died doing so many drugs, <laughs> and just wasn't treating myself good. You know, I went out. I went out and bought a fucking motorcycle, a Ducati 1000 Monster with the sole intention of driving that fucking thing into a truck. coming head on. Like, that's why I got it. Um, I obviously did not do that. Things smartened up in me. And, you know, there was one instance that I ended up taking all these drugs and all these pills and putting them in a blender, blending them up with rum and drinking that and then not waking up for a while. But when I woke up, I was, I woke up and i had been throwing up all over my kitchen floor. It was just kind of disgusting, and but something when I woke up, something said, "It's not your time." Like you have, you're going to have an effect on things, and you need to use this. It was really weird, and I don't know how to even talk about it because I don't know if I believe in hocus pocus kind of things like that. But it's just what happened, and I said, "All right, well, fuck it." Then I have to do all this other stuff, you know. So I still went to the monastery. They only did vegan and vegetarian food. What I saw there was like, it was a communal kind of cooking situation and there was no professional chefs there. And so I took it upon myself to just, look. this is what I can do. I can cook. So I just started cooking for people. It was a way that I could give back. And I started cooking more and more. And then I just wanted to keep cooking again because that's how, it's just a natural thing for me. And then I saw That it benefits people, like, and I remember the Kempos saying, "You know, it's so important to have a nourished body, so your mind can absorb the teachings." Like, if you need a healthy body to absorb everything else, and so you can have a be a benefit to other people, and you, your the way you do things affects everybody. If you see the power that you have, what you do affects everything. I really took that upon myself and took it to heart. Like that was my ability and what I could do to benefit other people. And I joke about it because I say, well, they all, the Buddhists tricked me. They tricked me because I was helping everybody
0: else and that helped me. There we go. I hope you found that interesting, instructive, illuminating, and clarifying. Of course, if you did, please share with your friends and family on the socials. The more people that we can help together, the better. And while you're there, make sure that we're connected. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at plant underscore proof. Quick one before I let you go. I am often asked what supplements I take. Probably one of the most common questions that I get actually So, I finally got around and created an in-depth supplement guide, totally free, that you can download along with a bunch of other free guides at plantproof.com. Inside, it contains information about daily supplements for everyday wellness along with performance supplements. The daily supplement that I personally take is a multi-nutrient called Essential 8 by NutriKind. This is a product I formulated for NutriKind alongside their team that specifically contains the eight key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall a little short in. Omega-3s from algae, B12, vitamin D3 from mushroom, iodine from seaweed, calcium, zinc, selenium, and iron. The right forms in the right doses to complement your plant-rich diet. To find out more or subscribe to a monthly delivery, head to NutriKind.com, that's N-U-T-R-I-K-Y-N-D.com and use the code PLANTPROOF for 15% off your purchase. So in summary, grab a copy of the supplement guide at plantproof.com. And if you are in the market for a daily multi-nutrient to cover your bases, head to NutriKind.com and use the code plantproof for 15% off. On that lovely note, it's time to bring this one to a close. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and for your ongoing interest in evidence-based nutrition. I appreciate you and I look forward to repeating it all again in a few days time. Until then, remember, more plants, my friends, more plants.